But we've been in this series trending, okay? And what we've been talking about is what's trending online isn't always what should be trending in the Christian life, right? What's always important in culture isn't always that important in the kingdom. And how we're called as Christ followers to be countercultural, right? How we go about our routines, how we live out our faith on a daily basis. So with that being said, what I see so much of the time is when it comes to a culture is that I see a culture that really doesn't understand how to be present with people. Instead of facing forward and talking to each other and having a personal, deep conversation, our heads are down and we're always looking at our devices, we're always looking into our phones. And if you don't believe me, just try having a conversation with anybody this afternoon and see how long it takes them to pull out their phone because of a news alert or check their watch because somebody just texted or to be, to be distracted by the TV on the wall because this is my favorite part in Elf when he's decorating the tree and he jumps into it and it falls over. You know, There's so much going on around us and it's so easy to get distracted. I wanted to talk about this. I think that one of the best presence you can give this Christmas season is your presence. Okay, not TS, not multiple, that would be good too if you did presence, multiple presence. But I think the best present, if you're filling in the blanks, if you're online and have the message notes, app, uh, message notes open, the best present is to be present. If you want to break the norm, if you really want to stand out, you really want to give someone a gift that's meaningful, and this doesn't cost anything. It's just if we're willing to be present. And the reason I say this is because presence influences happiness. And we all need a little more happiness. We all need a little more joy, don't we? I think our culture could use more kindness. I think that we could all benefit from a little more grace. And one of the best ways to give all of that is just by being fully connected, by being fully present with people. Because on the flip side of this, you know this. We all know what it's like to be around someone and they're not really present with you. Like I said earlier, where they're always on their phone or they're distracted by something that's going on. And when that happens, it doesn't make you feel happy. In fact, it doesn't make you feel valued. It lessens the experience. My neighbor, Mr. Bill, is the best. Um, he's an older gentleman that lives across the street from me. And if you've been at this church long enough, you've heard me share stories about Mr. Bill. Um, he's just, you know, he's just so great. And I'm, Like the time I shared uh, when I walked outside and it was a hot summer day and I was doing yard work and I looked over and across the street in his driveway, he had laid out his clothes to dry. For some reason, they, they had gotten wet, so he laid them out to dry, but he laid them out like he would wear them, so there was a shirt and shorts and socks and shoes, and I had two thoughts in that moment. The first thought was, oh no, I've missed the rapture. <laughs> I was like, why God? And then Shannon walked outside, and I was like, woo, because <laughs> if anybody's going to be taking his hurt, uh, she's a saint. But um, anyway, my second thought was, is Mr. Bill running around the neighborhood naked? Like, what's going on, right? So but Mr. Bill is awesome. He's an older gentleman. Everybody on the street takes care of him. And last week, I was bringing over some Thanksgiving food. And when I go in there, 
I found out that he doesn't have any internet. I don't know why I didn't know this before. He has no internet. He has no computer. He has no iPad. He has no smartphone. He still uses a landline. But when you go over to his house, you have his full attention. He is completely with you. There are no other distractions. And it's nice. And it's for that reason that I get joy. I receive joy every time I go and visit with him. You know, this feeling of presence and happiness that we receive is actually backed up by data and research. There was a study that was done by Cornell University that involved chocolate, which I totally would have signed up for. But what they did was they took a bunch of pieces of chocolate and they told the participants that it was chocolate from all over the world. And they individually wrapped these pieces of chocolate, but they all came from the same candy bar. So you following me? And what they had to do was they had to rank each piece of chocolate from 1 to 10. But what the researcher did was that he would sit down in that moment and he would engage the person while eating some of the chocolate. And then for other pieces of chocolate, he would disengage. He would look at his phone or he would look at the TV or he would step out of the room. And what they found was every time they were tested and he was present in the room and fully connected with them, they rated the piece of chocolate higher. Every time the researcher stepped away or was distracted, they rated the piece of chocolate lower. And what this did is this just gave us what we already know. It just provided quantifiable evidence that presence amplifies our experience. It makes us happy. But you know what? You and I already know this. And for those of you that have kids, we know this on a daily basis because of how many times we hear our kids say, Mama, Mama, Mama. Or daddy, 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 daddy. Our girls used to say it so much, but when they said mama, they always sounded like Bohemian Rhapsody. So they would say, mama, and then we'd always say, ooh. They didn't know what that meant, but we thought it was funny. But kids, but kids do this because why? Because they need your attention. We know from a very early age that your attention, your presence Being connected in that moment, it brings happiness. In fact, I would go so far as to say that this is completely theological. That presence, this idea of presence that we find this in Scripture, it's it's a theological theme that we see from God. I mean, think about this for a minute. God is the one that created everything. He created the heavens, created the world that we live in. He gives you the breath you breathe as if he hasn't given us enough As if he hadn't done anything and everything he possibly could. What does he do? And what do we celebrate at Christmas? But that he loves us so much that he wanted to be fully present with us. And it's at Christmas that we celebrate this fact that God became human. That he actually became a baby in a manger. John 1.14 is one of those verses that we use so often during the Christmas season. And it says this. It says, so the word became human. Some of y'all know this because the word became flesh. Other translations say the word became human. And he made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. I love this. He was full of love. He was faithful to his creation. So faithful that what he did just blew everybody's mind. His faithfulness to us brought him to this point of being present with us. His very presence on this earth now. I like the way the message paraphrases the same verse. It says it this way. It says, um, 
that's not, <laughs> that's not the verse I was going for. Wayne, I'm sorry, I didn't put it in there. Let me tell you what the message paraphrases this, okay? It says this, my bad, buddy. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And then it says, the word became flesh and blood and he moved into the neighborhood. I love that. This idea that God just kind of moves into our lives to walk among us, to be with us, and to teach us. It's just, it's amazing to think that God would do that, that he would give us his very presence. And then, and then, in a twist that nobody saw coming, what makes the Bible and the gospel message so amazing is that Jesus became fully present with us, and then he was crucified, and he was taken. So there was this moment where creation was wondering what just happened, like God was with us, now he's not, now he's dead, and he's buried, and he's in a tomb, and then for three days we wondered. Then he was resurrected, and everybody's like, great, he's back. God is with us again. And then out of nowhere, he spends 40 days with us, and then he ascends into heaven. And then everybody's like, what's going on? Like, you're with us, then you're not, then you're back, and now you're gone again. Like, we like this idea of you being with us and fully present with your creation. And Jesus, realizing that this was something we needed, God's presence with us always, he says, you know what, it's actually better that I go away, because if I do, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send my presence in the form of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit can be with you at any time, anywhere in the world. And Ephesians 3 puts it this way. Now we're going to go to this slide. He says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, that he, God, will empower you with inner strength, inner strength that comes through his Spirit. Then Jesus is going to make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Now what happens is that Jesus makes his home inside of us. When you accept him, when you receive Christ as your Savior, he moves into your life. And you cannot get any closer than having God living within you. As followers of Jesus, this is one of the best promises that we have. This idea that God's presence is always with us and fully connected to us. So with all that being said, my, my main point is this. Is that if God's presence is such a big deal, shouldn't our presence matter also? I mean, don't you agree? Maybe we should think about this a little bit more. Because what's culturally acceptable, I brought you a picture, what's culturally acceptable is this. Right? Everybody's heads turned into their devices or their technology, whatever they have that's available to them. I actually thought about, this is a stock image, I actually thought about just walking around downtown Columbus and just taking pictures of people, like looking at their phones, because that's what everybody does. And then I was like, well, chances are they're going to show up at church, and then it'll be awkward. So... I did not do that. But this isn't too far-fetched, is it? This is what we see all the time. In fact, the American Psychology Association has actually developed a new term. It's called technoference. And according to Webster's Dictionary, this refers to the interruptions in interpersonal communication caused by attention paid to personal technological devices. It goes on to put it this way. It says, in other words... It's that thing where you're looking at your phone or your tablet and you don't hear the question that just came from your friend or your mom or your spouse or whoever. In basic terms, what this word says is that we're allowing these things to interfere in our ability to be present in our relationships. 
And because of that, it's leading our relationships into lower levels. In fact, divorce lawyers are seeing mobile phones come up more and more and more in their law hearings. There's a lot of data to back this up. In fact, what's crazy is that these distractions actually pull us away from relationships and cause us to be isolated. We see more and more cases of isolation, which is weird because we think of phones and we think of these devices as keeping us connected, but actually what they're leading us to is more depression and more loneliness, and we see it over and over and over again. It's amazing to think that something so little can be so powerful. In fact, when Steve Jobs introduced the smartphone all the way back in 2007, he said this. He said, every once in a while, a revolutionary product comes along that just changes everything. I don't think he even knew what this was capable of. In fact, years later, the CEO of Apple actually kind of put a warning label on these things, and they actually put on your devices this app that tracks how much time you spend on your phone and how much percentage of that time is used in which different kind of apps that you're prone to go to most of the time. And if you're like me, you remove that feature because <laughs> it's depressing, right? Now, if you know me at all, you know I'm a huge tech geek. I love technology. I'm not saying that we need to turn Amish and like flee electricity. You can keep your Gmail accounts, okay? I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just asking. Maybe we think through what it means to be present this holiday season because here's, here's the deal. I want you to have more joy. Like, I want your happiness to increase. And this is one of the ways that that happens is when we are fully connected to, to one another. And I know I'm only focusing on the bad, and there's a lot of good that comes out of these devices as well, right? We can actually be connected to anyone and anywhere at any time. But when we're connected to everything out there, it makes it harder to connect to the people that are right here. So I said this is kind of theological in the fact that God wants us to be present. God wants to be present with us. And anytime I want to learn more, you know, I always go back to Scripture. And this idea of being fully present with each other, this is something that Scripture teaches. In fact, one of the greatest examples of this was Jesus himself. I want to share a story with you. The first story that we're going to look at is a time when Jesus was young, okay? Now, that, and we're not talking young like eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus, okay? We're, some of y'all know that. Anytime I can throw that in in Christmas season, I'm going to do it, okay? Just want y'all know that. But this is more like 100 pounds, 12-year-old Jesus, okay? So in Luke 2, right after the birth narrative, we find this quick little story of this preteen Jesus taking a trip with his family for Passover to Jerusalem. And in verse 43, it gets a little interesting. This is, where this, this is how the story goes. It says this, After the celebration was over, they, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. 
Three days later, they found him and they discovered him in the temple. Three days. How many of y'all have ever lost a child? Be honest. Let me see. Raise your hands. Come on. I'm, I've got my hand up. Look at all those bad parents out there. I tell you what, one time I lost my child, just full disclosure, I lost my child in Kohl's. And I called a code Adam and I shut that store down, y'all. I stood at the front door, would not let anybody in or out until we found her. We found her. She's fine, okay? Not my finest moment. So anytime you have one of those moments that a, as a parent that you're just feeling bad, you remember this story. And you say, at least I didn't lose my child for three days. I'm sure Mary and Joseph are reading Luke's account later, and they're like, seriously, dude, you got to put that in there? Like, can't we just let that go? But here's what happened when they found him. Look at where they found him. Sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them, and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was listening and asking questions. Listening and asking questions. In other words, he was fully present in this moment, engaged with other people. And this kind of, if you know anything about the Bible, if you know anything about Jesus, this kind of sets up a theme for Jesus, right? He was constantly being interrupted. He was constantly being pulled on. He was constantly being stopped from doing whatever he was doing. And what did he do? He always stopped and he listened And he asked questions to all these people, no matter who they are, no matter what they were asking, even when it wasn't convenient. Jesus wasn't listening and scrolling. He wasn't listening and looking around. He wasn't listening and checking notifications. He was fully present. And because of that, people knew that they were valued. People knew that they were loved. One of the best ways to give your presence this Christmas is to listen and ask questions. Now, listening goes without saying. Like, we know that we need to listen more. But what about this idea of asking questions? This is so interesting to me because I thought about this and I was like, why did Jesus ask questions? He doesn't need the answer. He already knows, right? We know this in Scripture. He, there's t- there are so many stories of where Jesus just answers people's questions that were in their head that they hadn't even said out of their mouth. He knows what the answer is going to be before they even ask the questions. Why is he asking questions? It's because... I think this is one of the ways that he just shows people that he's connected, that he's fully present. You see, when we just stop and we pay attention and we're listening enough to ask questions, it shows people that they're valuable. And that brings happiness. Let me give you another example in the Bible of someone being fully present. Another point in his ministry. You may remember the story of Mary and Martha. Jesus is teaching in the den Martha is the one that's distracted by everything that has to be done in order to be the hostess with the mostest. But her sister Mary is sitting on the floor listening to Jesus and probably asking questions. She's fully present in that moment. And you know the story, Martha, with everything she's doing, she's busy, she's distracted with everything going on. She actually interrupts Jesus and she says, Jesus... Please tell her, Mary, my sister, to get up and do something. And Jesus looks back at Martha and he says this, Martha, dear friend, he says, you're so upset over all these details. There's really only one thing worth being concerned about and Mary has discovered it and I will not take it from her. And Jesus in this moment, he he makes this statement of priorities, of importance. In other words, 
Martha, what's in the stove isn't as important as who's in the house. If he were saying it today, that, that might be like, you know, whatever's in your pocket or in your purse isn't more impor- important than the person that is right in front of you in this moment. If this story were written today, I think it would be like Martha sitting on the back wall trying to get that perfect picture of the group and having her phone out and trying to get people together and trying, you know, taking 20 different pictures and then looking through them and putting the right filter on them and then trying to figure out which social media to post it to and which hashtag to make all while missing the moment of what's right in front of her. So in a culture, what I see, when I see what's trending around us, in a culture that's just conditioned to jump any time our phone buzzes, maybe we try to break that trend this holiday season, and we just try to be fully present. Because for two reasons, I think it communicates value, and I think it'll bring you more happiness. But how? How can we do that? Let me give you a couple of of ways you might be able to make this happen this holiday season. Point number one is this. Here's your first fill in the blank here with the points. Number one, evaluate your why. We're going to work through these real quick, okay? Let's just start here. Evaluate your why. If you want to increase your presence, your influence, your happiness... You got to ask the question, why is this so important? Like, why are we so addicted to these things? Why do I get caught up so much in this never-ending loop of checking email and Twitter and Instagram and stories and Snapchats and comments? And and then I just repeat and repeat and repeat. Why do I do this? Why is it when I sit down and have a conversation to someone, why do I feel the need to give this my attention instead? Why? Why? I think the most common answer is because we're bored. We're just bored, man. We need a distraction. And all these things around us, they offer so much. Also, I think that people just don't like being quiet. I I think that we don't like our... I, I know that for me, I don't like things to just be quiet in my life. And phones are excellent to keep us from our thoughts so I don't have to think or I don't have to reflect or I don't have to pray or I don't have to question things. But you know, when I started thinking about this, and when I think about the quality of being quiet and still, if you grew up in church, you probably know the verse that I'm about to use. One of the most famous verses in scripture, I use it all the time, comes from Psalm 46.10. It says this, it says, be quiet, okay, or be still and know that I am God. Be quiet or be still. And don't, don't just be quiet. Don't just be still. But do what? Reflect on who God is. That there is a God and that he loves you so much. You see, as a Christ follower, I think this stillness, this, this stillness and this quietness is a virtue. This idea of just removing myself, removing myself from any distraction can be used to develop my faith to grow my faith, but it will only happen if I make it a priority. You see, not only do we allow ourselves to get distracted from the relationships that should be so valuable to us right here, right now, but we also allow everything in this world to distract us from the most important relationship of all, and that's our relationship with God, our Father. So maybe it's good to be quiet and to be still 
and really ask that question, really reflect on the why. Why is it so important to me to be tied to this thing so much in life? Why is it that I place unnecessary value on this? And, and, and speaking of value, that leads me to point number two. The point number two is this. Identify your relational values. Okay, you gotta start with the why. Why am I so connected? And then identify what you want your relational values to be. Like, have you ever asked that question, like, what kind of parent do I want to be? What kind of spouse do I want to be? What kind of friend do I want to be? What kind of grandparent do I want to be? It might be good to kind of just think through this for a minute. Like, what kind of legacy do I want to leave? When it comes to those people that are the most valuable in my life, what do I want them to remember about me? Because I'll tell you this, it ain't your work. I know we think that that's so important, and that's another distraction for another day's topic that we can talk talk about, but you are the only father, you are the only mother your children have. You are valuable to them. They need your presence. They don't need your work. They need your presence. Those things that we tie up and seem like they're just so valuable aren't really that valuable at the end of the day. You see, what I want, I want to leave a legacy of having loved well. I want people, when they remember me, to think, that Jimmy, he really loved and cared for people. Like, I want Shannon to know that I love her. I want my kids to know that I love them. I want to be known as someone that loved well. And if I place a premium in relationships, if I really value them, I can't justify spending so much time with these other things that distract us. Do you know the average American spends four hours a day on their phone? Some of y'all, that's overkill, and you're like, There's, that's not me. But you know what? Honestly, whatever that time is that gets you distracted, whether that's TV, computer, phone, whatever that is, I find that we do all these other things during the day, and yet we have a hard time just finding 10 minutes to have a meaningful conversation with our spouse. And that shouldn't be. We need to identify our relational values, and I think that'll help so much. And then point number three is very simple, but you can power down occasionally. Okay, everybody, take a deep breath, okay? Okay, this can happen. Did you know that there's an off button on every device? Do you know that that is actually something? Some of y'all are like, I have no idea how to even do that. But it can happen. In fact, it's good for us to power down every now and then. And to know when you do, Everything's going to be okay. Everything will be all right. In fact, I've got another new term for you. Did you know that the mental health world actually came up with a new phobia, and it's called nomophobia? It's true. You can look it up. Here's the definition. Nomophobia is the fear of being without access to a working cell phone. This is a for real thing. And you know how you suffer from this? They say that 50% of the adult population suffers with this. This is you if you've ever left the house and forgot your phone, and you turn back to go for it because you're like, I cannot be without it. That's... I've had that happen. I was listening to the radio the other day, and some lady was on there, and she was talking about how her phone dictates her life, and if her battery power isn't fully charged, then she'll just cancel her evening plans because it may die. And that may be a little too far-fetched, but it's not too far out there. So many of us are addicted to those things so much. You know, I was thinking about this the other day when it comes to our marriage. 
how different our relationships would be if we powered down and we gave that attention to our spouse instead. I mean, think about it. We give our phones first thing. They get our attention first thing in the morning. What would happen if we did that in marriage? We hold our phones all the time. What if we put our phone down and held the hand of our spouse? We spend money on our phones all the time, on computers, looking at Amazon. What if we put that into our marriage and invested into our relationship? You see, I think it's good for us. I think it's good for our soul. I think it's good for our faith. I think it's good for our relationships if we learn to do this every now and then. So we're gonna ask the why. Why is this so important to me? We're, we're gonna think through relational values and what kind of value I wanna have in those relationships. Number three, we're gonna power down occasionally. And then number four, maybe start thinking about installing some speed bumps. Install some speed bumps. So y'all, Publix on Schaumburg Road got me the other day because they installed new speed bumps and I was not aware. I'll be honest. I am aware now. Have you ever done that? I remember one time I was on a trip with our youth and I was driving a van and I completely missed one of these speed bumps. I hit that thing going at least 50. All four tires left. It was pretty, it was pretty incredible when you think about it. Full Dukes of Hazard. I mean, all four tires. One of the kids said they fell asleep on the van and they woke up in midair. <laughs> they were like, what? what happened? But you know what speed bumps are. They're meant to slow you down a little bit. There's small obstacles that need to get in our way, that are placed there to kind of get in our way a little bit. What could be a speed bump that slows you down between the impulse and the action? Okay, so when your phone or, or the TV or whatever it is, when it, when it makes that notification, what is it that I could put in place that might slow me down a little bit? You know what slows us? You know what a major speed bump for us in the McElrath household is our dinner table. That's a speed bump. It slows us down. We are all required to be fully present when we're sitting around the table. I've heard of people that, uh, that put um, phone boxes in their home where they put all their phones in it for just uh, an hour or so or whatever so they can be fully present with each other. And I think that's an awesome idea. I just think that there are some things that maybe that we can talk through and maybe you've got some ideas of how you might place a few speed bumps around your home so that you can be a little more present. So, with all that being said, we're just starting this Christmas season. The big idea is that presence communicates value. When I'm fully present, it shows other people that they're important to me. And the most important thing that you have in this world is your relationships. It's your relationships with others. It's your relationship with God. So you know what? When it comes to this topic, don't look at culture to define that value. It will lead you astray every time. Instead, turn to God. What we're going to do is we're going to learn from him because we're reminded during the Christmas season that God gave us the greatest gift this world has ever known, his very presence with us. So if you want to give a great gift this year, why not follow his example and give the gift of your presence? Let's pray together. God. Our prayer is that we would just become more like you. That's what we want, Jesus, is just to become like you in everything that we say and do. God, we just want to ask this morning that you would keep working on us 
so that we're constantly changing, so that we're constantly moving forward, so that we're just becoming better. So God, would you just give us the insight and the courage and the wisdom to make decisions that will help us be more present? Because God, we know that relationships are important. And we want those people that you have given in our lives, God, those, place, those people that you have placed around us, we want them to know that they're loved, that they're important to us. God, we just want to love people the way that you love us. So God, we, we just ask that you would help us make this Christmas season the best it can be. Thank you, thank you for your presence that was with us in the form of the baby that came to die for our sins, the presence that is alive and inside of us now. And God, help us to give that presence to others, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen, amen.